the apostles gathered around Jesus and they told him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, come away to a deserted place by yourselves and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away then in a boat to a deserted place by themselves. Now many saw them and recognized them as they were going. And they hurried there on foot from all the towns and they arrived ahead of Jesus and the disciples. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion for them for they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. After some teaching, some feeding of the 5,000, some walking on water then, they'd crossed over and they came to land at Gennesaret and they moored the boat. When they got out of the boat, people at once recognized Jesus and they rushed about the whole region and began to bring the sick on mats to wherever they heard that Jesus was. And wherever he went, into villages or cities or farms, they laid the sick in the marketplaces, and they begged him that they might touch even the fringe of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. The gospel of the Lord. So it didn't used to be this way, but when I read this bit of scripture nowadays, I'm not so impressed by all the crowds like I used to be. I'm not drawn to the way they recognized Jesus or how they chased him around Galilee like some kind of rock star. I'm not even moved by his compassion for those crowds or for the sick people that he healed or even for the great faith it takes to believe that touching his cloak was going to make them well and work a miracle, let alone that those sorts of miracles apparently happened. For good or ill, We've kind of come to expect all of that from Jesus, right? So what gets my attention these days when I read this bit of dislocated scripture, such as it was this morning, is how it seems like maybe Jesus was trying to avoid all of that some of the time. The crowds and the people and the sickness and the marketplace and the mats and all the rest. See, the disciples show up sometime after, remember, he's sent them out to share the good news and to heal diseases and to cast out demons and all the rest. And they start to tell Jesus all about what they've been up to. And I imagine they're more than a little proud, more than a little excited about all that they've been doing. I wouldn't be surprised if these former fishermen, remember, had traded one sort of big fish story for another kind of big fish story. Like what used to be a competition about who caught and sold more or bigger or better fish out on the lake now had very likely become a chance to one-up each other about who'd converted the greatest number of believers or who'd cast out the most demons or who'd forgiven the most sinful sinner or who'd healed the grossest case of leprosy, perhaps. Now, I'm not sure, um, but I believe Jesus was probably pretty proud of his protégés. I imagine he was pleased with their progress if their reports were true. I suspect he was impressed with their enthusiasm and with their faith and with all of their hard work. But again, what gets my attention 
these days is that Jesus tells the disciples to stop it. To step away from all of that. To go to a deserted place by themselves and rest a while. And I think maybe Jesus does this because he has as much compassion for his closest friends and his closest followers and for these disciples as he does for all those crowds who were like sheep without a shepherd. And the truth is, Jesus' disciples weren't any different or any better or any worse than those crowds who followed them around. They needed healing too, the disciples. And the same is true for you and me. We are no different No better, no worse than those with whom we live our lives of faith out there in the world. And sometimes we need to step away from all that we're up to in order to remember and to recognize and to receive the rest we need and that God longs for us to experience. Sometimes we need to stop looking outside of ourselves at the needs surrounding us and start looking in the mirror for the needs that are ours. Sometimes we need to be quiet and still long enough to hear something other than our own voices or the noise of this world. Sometimes we need to listen for what God has to say about what we need most rather than what the world out there is trying to convince us is so important. That's hard, right? Stillness, I mean, and solitude and listening. I was reminded about it at our last wild, wacky, wonderful Wednesday with the kids around here. I did my foolish best to talk with them about prayer and meditation for two and a half hours. And we talked about the difference between praying, where we do all the talking, and where we ask God for all the things we think we need, and meditation, where we sit still and be quiet and listen for what God might be trying to tell us for a change. Some of the kids got it and played along, or pretended to, at least. But several others hated it. I know because they told me so. (laughs) In those exact words, in front of the group. They couldn't do it. They didn't want to do it. They couldn't stand it. They refused to do it, and they wanted to go home. Which is as funny as it is frustrating, and it's not unique to kids. Because some of you, I've had adults tell me the same thing, that it is hard and frustrating, impossible even, to be still and quiet and meditation and prayer for too long, and I struggle to make time for it myself, truth be told. So I think the gospel this morning is a perfectly timed message for us. Not just because it's still summer 
And those of us who are governed by the school calendar have a couple of weeks left before another school year begins and all that that means. But this is a good timing for all of us as we continue to wonder and plan for about what fall will look like post-pandemic out there in the world and in our lives together here at Cross of Grace. I thought of something that I've seen social worker and professor Brene Brown get credit for saying over the course of the last year. That we shouldn't long so much for a return to whatever normal was just for the sake of it. She says, normal never was. Our pre-corona existence was not normal, other than that we normalized greed, inequality, exhaustion, depletion, extraction, disconnection, confusion, rage, hoarding, hate, and lack. We should not long to return, my friends. We are being given the opportunity to stitch a new garment, one that fits all of humanity and nature. Now, all of that doesn't apply to all of us, perhaps, but it begs the question for me, what will normal be going forward? For me, for you, for us, together. Will we fill our schedules and our calendars and our agendas with all the things that were there before just because that's normal? Have we already started to do that, perhaps? And why? Or will we be thoughtful and deliberate and faithful about engaging what really matters? Will we say yes to what does matter? And might we practice saying no to what does not matter? Might we schedule more time away to stop in deserted places by ourselves to pray and to listen and to plan to live more deliberately? And might we be kind and gracious, forgiving and compassionate toward those who have the courage and the faith to say so, to say no, to do differently in the days to come. I hope that happens for us, because I think this is what Jesus is calling his disciples to. And by extension, this is our call then as followers of Jesus just the same. What time apart and what time away in deserted places means to do for us is to give us rest and refreshment, yes. It allows us to stop and to relax. It replenishes our energy and restores our enthusiasm and it builds our strength and it increases our stamina. Personally, it has a knack for getting my creative juices flowing in new different kinds of ways. All of this is called Sabbath, remember? And it is one of God's top ten commandments. And when we get it right, it forces us to stop relying on ourselves and on our own accomplishments 
And it reminds us to rely instead on God more often and what God can do for us and through us in spite of ourselves. And this takes faith because we have to let God be God in those moments when we dare to stop doing, to stop producing, to stop accomplishing, to stop proving and distracting ourselves with all we have on our respective agendas. And it takes humility, too, because it reminds us that our value, as far as God is concerned anyway, comes from simply being, merely existing. Nothing more and nothing less, and that is a lesson in grace for sure. And when we practice that kind of Sabbath, when we do it well, when we put away our busy schedules and our big fish stories, unless I guess it actually involves fishing, and when we put away the pride that goes along with all of that, when we stop filling our calendars and our schedules and our lists of things to do, we will start to see that the value and the worth of all of that, that that kind of grace shows up in the mirror for ourselves, apart from our ability to do anything about it. And when we learn to see it in the mirror, we'll begin to see it in the world, in our friends and in our family and our neighbors and more. And then we might normalize, we might prioritize things like grace and patience and humility and each other instead of what was normal before. And when that happens, our compassion will be stirred like Jesus was when he got out of the boat and saw all those crowds. And will we begin to live and move and breathe and serve in the world with joy, more meaningfully, beside still waters, perhaps, and mindful of our place in the midst of what all belongs to God, and resting assured for a change in God's grace to care for every bit of it, and even us, too. Amen. Amen.